Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we will be reading Matthew 4, verses 12 to 25, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, On them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people, So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. We have in these verses the beginning of our Lord's ministry among men. He begins his labors among the dark and ignorant people. He chooses men to be his companions and disciples. He confirms his ministry by miracles, which ruse the attention of all Syria and draw multitudes to hear him. Let us notice the way in which our Lord commenced his mighty work. He began to preach. There is no office so honorable as that of the preacher. There is no work so important to the souls of men. It is an office which the Son of God was not ashamed to take up. It is an office to which he appointed his twelve apostles. It is an office to which Paul in his old age especially directs Timothy's attention. He charges him with almost his last breath to preach the word. It is the means which God has always been pleased to use above any other, for the conversion and edification of souls. The brightest days of the church have been those when preaching has been honored. The darkest days of the church have been those when it has been lightly esteemed. Let us honor the sacraments and public prayers of the church and reverently use them, but let us beware that we do not place them above preaching. Let us notice the first doctrine which the Lord Jesus proclaimed to the world. He began to say, Repent. The necessity of repentance is one of the great foundations which lie at the very bottom of Christianity. 
It needs to be pressed on all mankind without exception, high and low, rich or poor. All have sinned and are guilty before God, and all must repent and be converted if they would be saved. And true repentance is no light matter. It is a thorough change of heart about sin, a change showing itself in godly sorrow and humiliation, in heartfelt confession before the throne of grace, in a complete breaking off from old habits, and an abiding hatred of all sin. Such repentance is the inseparable companion of saving faith in Christ. Let us prize the doctrine highly. It is of highest importance. No Christian teaching can be called sound which does not consistently bring forth repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20, verse 21. Let us notice the class of men whom the Lord Jesus chose to be his disciples. They were of the poorest and humblest rank in life. Peter and Andrew, James and John were all fishermen. The religion of our Lord Jesus Christ was not intended for the rich and learned alone. It was intended for all the world, and the majority of all the world will always be poor. Poverty and ignorance of books excluded thousands from the notice of the boastful philosophers of the heathen world. They exclude no one from the highest place in the service of Christ. Is a man humble? Does he feel his sins? Is he willing to hear Christ's voice and follow him? If this be so, he may be the poorest of the poor, but he shall be found as high as any in the kingdom of heaven. Intellect and money are worth nothing without grace. The religion of Christ must have been from heaven, or it never could have prospered or oversped the world as it has done. It is vain for infidels, that is, unbelievers, to attempt to answer this argument. It cannot be answered. A religion which did not flatter the rich, the great, and the learned, a religion which offered no license for the carnal inclinations of man's heart, a religion whose first teachers were poor fishermen, without wealth, rank, or power. Such a religion could never have turned the world upside down if it had been not of God. Look at the Roman emperors and the heathen priests with their splendid temples on the one side. Look at so few unlearned working men with the gospel on the other. Were there ever two parties so unequally matched? Yet the weak proved strong, and the strong proved weak. Heathenism fell, and Christianity took its place. Christianity must be of God. Let us notice in the last place the general character of the miracles by which our Lord confirmed his mission. Here we are told of them as a whole. Hereafter, we will read many of them described particularly. And what is their character? They were miracles of mercy and kindness. Our Lord went about doing good. These miracles are meant to teach us our Lord's power. He that could heal sick people with a touch and cast out devils with a word is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He is almighty. These miracles are meant to be types and emblems of our Lord's skill as a spiritual physician. He before whom no bodily disease proved incurable 
is mighty to cure every ailment of our souls. There is no broken heart that he cannot heal. There is no wound of conscience that he cannot cure. Fallen, crushed, bruised, plague-stricken as we are all by sin, Jesus, by his blood and spirit, can make us whole. Only let us go to him. Not least, these miracles are intended to show us Christ's heart. He is a most compassionate Savior. He rejected no one who came to him. He refused no one, however loathsome and diseased. He had an ear to hear all, and a hand to help all, and a heart to feel for all. There is no kindness like his. His compassions fail not. May we all remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. High in heaven, at God's right hand, he is not in the least altered. He is just as able to save, just as willing to receive, just as ready to help as he was 1,800 years ago. Would we have spread out our needs before him then? Let us do the same now. He can heal every disease and every sickness. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us consider carefully what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his glory.